folks. Gavin Roth with another episode of the Roth Revenue Podcast, the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing Series. This episode features Jennifer Fries, who is Senior Director of Partnerships at one of my favorite properties, the Toronto International Film Festival, also known as TIFF. I'm a huge movie fan, so it was a treat to chat with Jen. In this episode, Jennifer shares insights into the TIFF business, highlighting that it is more than a world-renowned film festival. In fact, it's a year-long celebration of content development and curation. She discusses her path into sponsorship marketing, offers a great perspective on mentorship, thoughts on the challenges of being a working mom, shares insights into TIFF's partnership activation philosophy, new asset creation, and a cool partnership that solved an actual pain point, emphasis on pain. We discuss ways to handle the ROI asked from sponsors and wrap with Jen sharing some great professional and personal development advice. I hope you enjoy. And for more episodes of the Roth Revenue Podcast, follow me on LinkedIn, visit rothrevenue.com, or check the Roth Revenue feed on SoundCloud. Hey folks, uh, welcome to another installment of the Roth Revenue Podcast. This is the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing Series, and I am sitting today with Jennifer Fries, who is head of partnerships for uh, a property that um, I've admired for a long time, and I don't think I'm alone. Um, it's called the Toronto International Film Festival, a little um, shindig every September in Toronto. It really is, um, if you listen to an earlier installment of the podcast with Brenda Woods of Visa, we talked a little bit, or quite a bit about it, and it is truly one of the great properties um, on the global sponsorship landscape. It's a world-renowned film festival, and it's a treasure to our city. And uh, Jennifer, who I'm with today, um, is at the reins for all of the partnerships associated with it. So uh, delighted, and thank you for making the time. Thank you for having me. And with that introduction, I'm especially excited to be here now. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So where, how many weeks out, you probably have something on your wall that mm-hmm. says how many days removed because we're sitting here in November. The event was in September. Are you, have you detoxed? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, because while we are a year-round organization, of course, sure. the jewel in our crown is the festival. So I think we're all in a little bit of a state of shock after it happens. I am a mom, so I know um, what it's like to give birth to an actual human. And I think it's actually easier uh, than doing the festival every single year. <laughs> Very good. Okay. That's nice. So at the at the end of the festival, we all do have kind of that postpartum moment of, wow, what did we just do? And it's, yeah. uh, you know, amazing. So yes, recovered now, but I will say only recently. <laughs> I, I totally get it. I, you know, um, I'm close friends of one of your colleagues, Doug Allison. We have to give a shout out to Doug, um, <laughs> especially after I saw what you guys did for, for Halloween. Yes. And, um, and we worked together at the Canadian Football League, Doug and I. And I get that, 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 that you know, the Grey Cup was our pinnacle but people easily forget that you run a business like the rest <laughs> of the year. You guys more so because we had a season. The, the 
Tiff uh, and and the 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 light box uh, the building we're in you guys run programming year round so talk a bit about that because I think it's lost on people a little bit right it is it's amazing to me because of course we we have our offices in the building we see all the programming that we do day in day out of course as part of my team we have our event uh, partnerships and bookings a partnerships group that also books all of our incredible third party events here in the building we have uh, over a dozen partner festivals that have the their film festivals, different cultural festivals, different communities coming in. Every single uh, week we have something new here in the building. So like I say, even though, yes, the festival is the jewel in our crown in September, we have so much that's going on all the time. And what I would say is the added factor of us being on the sponsorship side of things, um, we're working with corporate corporate budget cycles, corporate fiscal years. And of right. course, um, that means that for the following festival, we've already been out the gate since before the first festival has even, ha- even right. happened, right? Um, so it's it's never-ending. It's unrelenting. But that's also what makes it really, really exciting. Yeah, and you know, and I, I know that there would be a lineup down King Street to take your job. So I know, <laughs> I know you're not complaining, and I know you're not taking it for granted. Uh, we're, we're very lucky uh, to work in in a field that has let's let's face it a lot of sex appeal right I've worked mm-hmm. in sports and entertainment marketing my career I've never and I am a massive uh, film and entertainment buff and um, I'm envious of uh, anybody who gets to come to work in this kind of environment but that said I get it 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 ain't it ain't as easy as people think right it's a lot of hard work right it's it's not all glamour although I will say that I have worked at a number of different properties over the past almost 15 years and rarely is it the same where I can pick up the phone and call almost anyone and say hi I'm with Tiff and they say all right I've got five minutes for yeah. You know, almost a hundred percent of the time, someone's saying, "I've got at least five minutes for you." But then you got to get past that five minutes, yeah, yeah. and you have to turn that five minutes into a relationship. And that's really what, as anyone who's listening knows, our industry is is all about. So yes, it's while it is very, very glamorous, there is still some hauling boxes. There is still rolling up the sleeves, and and, you know the the eighty, ninety plus hour weeks leading up into the festival and then during the festival. Mm So yes, super glamorous but a lot of you know under eye circles at the end of it (laughs) all right so let's let's get into it I um you know I like to start with um you know understanding how um somebody in a very cool position of influence in the sponsorship marketing space got into the field like uh what what was your path talk about that is it bad to say by accident (laughs) It, it generally is is spot on. That's yeah. It's funny because you know I have had a lot of people say to me it's kind of like that devil wears Prada line. Of course, I'm going to use a lot of film quotes. So ah, just, nice. just so you bring know, it, uh, it. it's going to happen throughout this. Um, the devil wears Prada line, where they say, you know, this is the job that a million girls, you know, w- would want, or a million girls yeah. are behind you. As you said, line up down King Street. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, uh, yeah, I realize that now. But I think if someone would have said to me 15 years ago, this is where you're going to end up, I'd say, ah, I'm not mm-hmm. totally sure. So I. I started off uh, in university. I, I was in business school, and I was thinking, you know, that I was probably going to go into some kind of marketing. I was really into live events, though, always. And so I started doing a number of live fundraising events for causes that were really important to me while I was in university. So I started those when I was around 18, 19. Um, it was amazing to me, though. I think I just kind of had a knack for it because some of our events just raised huge amounts of money in short like, periods like of time. Hundreds of dollars. <laughs> no. 
And you know what? Actually, that would have been my benchmark for success. And yeah. some of them were in the tens of thousands of dollars, wow, much to our surprise. And that's I thought, amazing. okay, what is the winning formula here? Like, what's going on? And I realized that I think that what I, you know, I had a knack for, and certainly what the teams that I was building around me had a knack for, was we really understood what did the student body want? What did consumers want. They were, of course, the consumers around us, and most of the money was coming from corporate partners. And so that was where I first kind of went, huh. Oh, you got it early. Yeah, this is a thing. You know, I didn't even realize it was a job when I was 19. And so I ended up having some short stints after university as an event producer. I worked at a a massive experiential marketing agency for a number of years doing account management there, working with some of the biggest brands in the world, which is really exciting. Then, you know, woke up one day and I have to say it kind of, it took a few months to fully wrap my head around it and realize that I I did want to go back into the nonprofit world. Nonprofit was important to me and I felt that I had a certain set of skills that really could um, do some some greater good. Is that your taken reference? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've got a unique set of skills. I've got a unique yeah, set of skills. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're less threatening than yeah, Liam Mason's, yeah, yeah. but uh, it depends how you look at them. Yeah. Um, no, and so I really, I realized I wanted to put my skills toward uh, the greater good, as I say. And so I started uh, working in nonprofit consulting at a small nonprofit consultancy with an incredible woman named Maria, who I, I know I mentioned to you as one of my, uh, my mentors. And um, she really inspired me to realize that there is a, whole world out there, a nonprofit where you can um, do a lot of good. And I realized where there was a bit of a gap um, was specifically in in partnerships and nonprofit. And there aren't that many people who are experts in nonprofit who also have a background in marketing and in in private sector and working for some of the biggest brands in the world on that other side of the table. And so I saw uh, an area for myself there and I was recruited here at TIFF eight years ago. So a phone call one day, yeah. But this is the best part. It was a phone call one day, two weeks before the festival. (laughs) It was the most fast and furious hiring experience I have ever had. Um, And I, I did, I started two days before the festival in 2011. Wow. You know, that, that, well, that's a great way to start in the sense that you're, you come, no pressure for that year, just mm-hmm. come and, well and see it. Yeah, well rested. <laughs> come and, come and take it in, right? And yeah. that, uh, I was talking to somebody recently about, um, oh yeah, it was, it was uh, uh, Dana Gladstone, who she and I worked together at the CFL, and she told me the story of how uh, the guy we reported to, Brent Scrimshaw, used to be with Molson. He was the CMO at uh, the CFL. That's how he was recruited. He was invited to come to the Grey Cup, see it, feel it, take it in, and then, hey, do you want to come and be a part of the team, right? So that's yeah. a great way to do it. Right? It is, it is. And it was nice for me because I, I did have the opportunity to see the festival in action, not just as a, a consumer. So I yeah. had been a member of the audience for, I guess at that point, already at least five years. My husband was a, a member, well, at the time, my boyfriend mm-hmm. uh, was a member. We had actually one of our first date nights at TIFF nice. years prior. So it held a special place in my heart. That's and so cool. it was nice for me because I got to go through the festival like I say, see it with fresh eyes. I was well rested, unlike everyone else on the team. Um, so I was able to jump in as needed and sort of be a, a floater for everybody. Yeah. Um, and it, it gave me great purview so that essentially the day after the festival ended, I was ready to hit the ground running with some accounts. And so was your first, so just let's talk quickly about your evolution inside TIFF. So it looks like you always had a bit of a partnership lens, right, mm-hmm. from what I've read, is that, but now you're, you're leading the team sales and service. 
um, talk a little bit about, you know, your progression here. Sure. So when I first started on the team, um, we weren't in the hunter farmer model that we're in now. So it was actually an everyone does everything model. Um, of course the revenues were much lower at that time as well. We've grown immensely in the past eight years, um, due in part to the incredible work of the leaders before me, as well as the, the current team that we have. And so when I first started, I was a senior manager. I took the reins about three years after that um, with uh, another colleague of mine handling uh, the account side of the business. So what we did was we decided together it made the most sense for us to move into a hunter-farmer model. We were just getting to that size and scale that we needed dedicated, focused bodies. And we recognized that when you do have that hunter-farmer model um, with a specific sales vertical and an accounts vertical, you can be selling all the time. And so we didn't lose a big yeah. chunk of that important cycle, especially because of the time of year we happen that, that we have happening uh, with the big festival in September. Um, summer is very important for a lot of, uh, especially uh, CPG companies building their budgets. So um, we recognized that, we jumped in on that. It was unbelievable how revenues increased and also how our service for our clients improved when we had dedicated account focus as well. So that really changed the game for us. Um, and then I was very, very lucky um, to have some incredible support um, and mentors here within the organization who really believed in me. And when I went on maternity leave, they decided to restructure the teams a little bit. And I got a phone call in the last couple of months of my maternity leave before I was coming back. And they said, hey, you know what, we've actually got two more teams that we think that you should take on um, so you know really easy back in yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and um, you know see they, they really make sense there's a lot of overlap with what partnerships um, is doing and so we went from a sponsorship team to the corporate partnerships team to now the partnerships group uh, and that includes hospitality partnerships corporate partnerships sales and servicing as well as the event partnerships team Perfect. Um, and you know that that hunter farmer model. Um, you know, I've seen this, and you've seen this many times. It it also allows you to put people who are who you know cast them in the right roles. Let's Absolutely. stick with the whole movie theme here, but. Um, <laughs> But, you know, you, you, you just have, as you say, you were selling more than you've ever sold because now you've got people focused, as we all know, that's such an important part of sales. But people who shouldn't be selling and are better suited to managing partnerships and cultivating partnerships can do that and they're not struggling and they blossom. Uh, I'm just such a big believer and you just got to put people in the right places to succeed based on their their unique set of skills, mm -hmm. right? So, so I'm glad you you guys uh, see that. And you know, you think every property does, but it's still not the case. Um, so you've touched on mentorship. It's a, it's a topic also I like to hit on. Um, uh, you you gave us a little tease with one, and then there's some internally. Just talk about mentorship, like what what it means to you, and maybe just talk about some of your mentors, uh, mm -hmm. one or two, if you can. Like I say, I've been so incredibly lucky to have a number of people that I would call mentors throughout my whole life, not just throughout my career. Um, so I, I, I just would say that I think it's so important that we uh, stop looking at the, the next generation of talent as potential competition. 
And I think that there are still people out there who do that and they feel anxious about bringing people under their wing and bringing them up with them. And um, I always believe that there's so much that we can learn from people who have more experience than us and also people who have less experience than us, people who have different experiences than us. And so I think that that's uh, really important. I don't always necessarily think that my mentors are going to be people more senior than me. I have some people on my team who I turn to, especially, you know, with certain uh, different kinds of experience than I have. So um, I would say for me, some people specifically, uh, you know, shine uh, when I when I think about who my mentors have been. So I really I've had some amazing bosses. I am so lucky. And I think so many people could say, oh, you know, I've got to deal with my boss now. I I don't even know how many times I've had to say that in my career. It's, I could probably count it on one hand, which is really, I think, unique. Mm-hmm. So I've been very lucky in that way. A lot of um, champions of mine, I would say, which is which is lovely. Doug Allison, yes. absolutely at, at the top of that. Um, my former boss, Howard Kerbel, as well, uh, who, of course, now is the CEO of the Jazz Festival. Oh. Very cool job also. Um, you know, I've also had so many incredible female leaders who I've been uh, exposed to who have been in my life. Um, and I think for me with those uh, people in particular, they're, they hold a special place in my heart, especially those that have families at home. Since I've become a mother, I can tell you it is so hard having a big career and a lot of responsibility um, professionally. And then now have this whole other life and this whole other level of responsibility at home. And I know you've got a family, so you know what that's like. But, you know, I found so many amazing female leaders who have really found the right harmony for their lives. And I hate the word balance because there is no such thing as balance. You can really shoot yourself in the foot using that word. Um, But they're industry experts and they're also mothers and wives and partners and daughters and friends. And they're figuring out a way to do it. Um, there's a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote that I, I, she's my, she's my imaginary best friend yeah. mentor. Um, and so she said, you know, you, that women can have it all. They just can't have it all at once. And that's the problem. I think we've all with this lean in idea, we're trying to have it all at once and it's killing us. Well, and so very well said. some of the best mentors that I have had are the ones that say, you know what? Yeah, you can have it all. Just Pick and choose when you're having it. You know, it's harmony. It's it's figuring out when the right time is for the right things. And that's something I'm still working on. I'm still growing into that. But um, those are the women who have made a huge influence on me. That's, that's awesome stuff. Um, you know, I, as a father of daughters, it um, I pay very, uh, pay quite a lot of attention to, you um, to the idea of female leadership, female empowerment. Um, just saw a campaign posted the other, or on TV the other day, did a post about it, sparked a little bit of dialogue, and it was uh, the wealth simple one about yeah. invest in change. Yeah. And um, just so well done, just showing the gender gap between, you know, uh, in sports and, and um, just sparking a dialogue. And I just... Um, as a guy, maybe a little more tuned into stuff like that and things that you said resonate with me because of my daughters. Um, I'll never forget, I think it was uh, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, who at the time um, uh, was the COO of Facebook. I don't know if she still is, and uh, I should should know that. 
such a powerful woman mm-hmm. uh, in 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 corporate in the corporate world, and she said the most important decision. A, a woman can make is the partner she chooses because <laughs> in her case she picked a partner that let her flourish and it's so weird to even say that because you know but that's it was it it kind of is still a little bit of a dynamic where you know you don't want to have to fight that that gender thing in the in the house right and 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 he just gave he says i've got the house so you go and take the corporate world and mm-hmm. i i think you know what we got to get to a point where we stop even paying attention to that kind of stuff Absolutely. right but and but, even yeah, if it's, it's hard and even if it's not you know your life partner or your husband or your wife or whomever it is if it's the that you're seeking the help you need to be able to do those things because not any one person can do everything. You can't be 100% on in all areas of your life. It's just not possible. Um, I tried doing that, nearly killed me. Mm -hmm. So I can say I've learned a lot in the last two years since becoming a a parent and realizing that you have to find those right support systems. And I'm I'm very lucky to have an outrageously supportive husband and an incredibly supportive mother and, you know, an incredible daycare that I send my (laughs) son to. And I've got like an army, you know, and that whole it takes a village that it does take a village. And you, you have to realize that's okay. And as a professional parent, you you can't you can't feel guilty about yeah. leaning on that village. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You can't, yeah, not not feeling the need to do everything yourself. And, yeah. Uh, it's amazing how liberating that is when you release a little bit of that control, right? Yeah. So, yeah. good for you. That's, that's really good stuff. Let's um, pivot to partnership programs, sponsorship programs. I'd love to just hear first um, a program that you've uh, had your hands on in some capacity that you're really proud of and why. Yeah, you asked me to prep for this, and I think I sat on I sat on the next two questions for like twenty minutes, thinking, "Oh God, how do I narrow it down?" So I'm going to go really recent, <laughs> and that way anyone who's been to the festival can actually see, they can envision what I'm talking about. Um, so you know, this year we we really decided to hunker down and mandate that all brands activating at TIFF needed to have a clear tie to film and film culture. And I think in the past we talked a lot about it. Of course, that's where we were in encouraging our partners to go. That's how we brought our partners in. It was all part of the conversation. But then sometimes things, you know, as you build the partnership and you build the activations, they can lean in different directions. And so we really ensured that we were staying focused and everything really was um, enhancing the audience's film going experience because really your best results are going to happen when you're speaking to your audience about the the reason why they're there and about their passion point. And if you're at TIFF, I can tell you right now, without any question in my mind, the passion point is film. (laughs) So we can see it in our numbers. We can see it in our results and all of our research. The brands that do the best are the ones that have the clearest, most obvious tie to film and give the audience an enhanced film going or film culture experience. So this year we mandated that and it made incredible change. The results were absolutely shown across both the social media pickup as well as general media pickup, all of our uh, research. And then to be very, very specific, this year we actually did um, build two totally new properties. And that's always fun. Um, I think Matt Leave gave me a little bit of space to just think about the building and what sort of what corners of the building had not been, 
<laughs> have not been monetized yes. yet. No, but but really have not been activated effectively yet. Um, and so we discovered that the rooftop of our building, mm. which is one of the most spectacular views of, of course, King Street, which become fest, fest, becomes Festival Village, as well as it's right underneath the CN Tower. So one of the best views in the city, beautiful space. It was doing not a heck of a lot during the festival. And the biggest thing is our audiences didn't get the chance to access it. Unless you were invited to a private party up there, you had no access, which is a, a big problem for us because accessibility is so important yeah. and in TIFF's DNA. So we stepped back and said, okay, this is a space that really has huge opportunity. It was vacant, underutilized. There was a clear opportunity to create something totally new. It would fill a gap, which is something that our partners were asking for, um, a net new space to activate. We had essentially sold out of space in our festival village um, and something that was really elevated, literally, above mm. the crowd. Yeah. Um and so uh, what was nice was we looked at that space and then we were really thoughtful about it and we thought about TIFF's mission, artistic mission, our artistic vision. Um, we talked a lot about our, our priorities, especially pertaining to accessibility, uh, pertaining to diversity of programming, um, diversity in our activations. And so we created this incredible rooftop space with our partner Refinery29, brought in a number of other partners, including our festival partners. So Inside Out came up there as well. We had the Black Ball up there, which is the most spectacular event. It's actually thrown by two celebrities from Scarborough. Um, fabulous, fabulous um, actors. And so we did such incredible work up there and it really felt meaningful. It felt on brand. And hey, guess what? It also made a little bit of revenue to help us awesome. continue our mission. That's awesome. Um, you know, I, that, that I use the term probably way too much, but contextually relevant. Mm -hmm. Sometimes can't even say it properly, but you know, if, if you're right, if the brands are not activating in a contextually relevant manner, they're mm -hmm. missing a huge opportunity. And so um, I love that's that's interesting stuff that you're mandating, because I got to believe there was some, you know, some some difficult, brave conversations that had to be had with partners um, who weren't quite, hey, we've got mm -hmm. a way that we want to activate and you're you're kind of pushing uh, a way that you know will will work better for them and for the consumers, right? Uh, that dynamic was at play? Uh, absolutely. And, you know, some partners, I think, had an easier time with it. Other partners who, you know, had a certain way of doing things, they've always had a certain way of doing things. I think that was more challenging. And I think we got, you know, probably 98% of the way there. And we're looking at 2019 to hit that next 2%. Um, but yeah, it's it's changing the way people people think about approaching partnerships. And, um, you know, and that's something I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later, a little bit more. But ROI is such a big conversation right now uh, in the sponsorship world. And for us, it's really important that our sponsors clearly state their objectives up front before we dive into actually building the partnership program with them. And a lot of times I find our partners are unable to, um, or many of our partners are unable to really fully um, verbalize what their specific measurable objectives are especially specific to our, our partnership. And so when we're able to come back and say what our objectives yeah. are and try to have us meet in the middle and figure out where there's overlap and where they dovetail, that's when the most beautiful programs come to life. Led. 
along some of them, right? No. Uh, help, help us, right? And Tell I find us, that's yeah. often it, where we can come and we can say, here's here are our audience pain points. Here's what we're trying to get out of that. We see that you have the ability to be the hero yeah. in this story. Um, let's, from there, then generate how we can really bring this partnership program to life and what your measurable uh, return will be. Love it. Good. Um, all right. So let's, um, let's talk about a program, then, uh, that... You maybe you haven't uh, had your hands on, but you've admired from a distance and, and why it's resonated with you. There's so much out there, but give it a stab. That was the hardest one of the pre-work, the homework yeah. you gave me. I, yeah. that, God, there are a million. Um, uh, this is all off the cuff stuff. I don't know what you're talking about, homework. Yeah. Yeah. He gives mean? homework because yeah, he's yeah, prepared. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my things. Yeah, yeah. Preparation yeah. is important. Um, <laughs> no, and I, I, I will say I'm going to actually use a TIFF example as the really obvious one to tie into the whole idea of being a hero. It's not one that I actually worked on. It happened actually in the year that I started. So it was one that I observed when I first landed okay. on the ground. And it's a literal pain point. So I love this because uh, essentially what our our team did was they chatted with one of the one of the partners that was already on board, and they were for trying to figure out how to activate. It was actually a, a sparkling wine brand, and so they were talking about, oh, you know, we can do our typical taste tests. We can have you served in the VIP, blah blah blah, the usual stuff, which is fine, and absolutely they should have product. Of course, is it's product tasting is very very important, of course. However, how do you really get into the hearts of the audience? And so we started talking about pain points. Well, who is their primary, their target audience within the TIFF audience? Well, it's it's women, specifically it's women who would be the primary purchaser of this sparkling wine. They're out celebrating. When are they out celebrating? Well, they're out celebrating at galas. What are they wearing at galas? Fabulous outfits with high heels. Comfortable shoes, yeah uncomfortable shoes. Well, wouldn't you enjoy sipping your sparkling wine a heck of a lot more if you were standing around and actually comfortable? So what did they do? This fabulous sparkling wine brand created sparkling golden portable slippers (laughs) that you can put in your purse and take with you and swap out in the middle of the night when you've been to too many parties, you've had a couple glasses of champagne and you just want to be comfortable and they match the color of the champagne. Wow. You would not believe how many parties I was at over that first week. Again, my first week at TIFF. And people wearing And these. everyone's wearing these freaking gold shoes. <laughs> and I'm like, this is brilliant. You yeah. saw that brand everywhere. And it was it was one of the best activations. They were literally addressing a pain point. I love it when you said literally a pain point. <laughs> and and I, I, I don't know how you guys do it. I mean, I look at, at how uncomfortable... <laughs> Everybody looks, and and you're you're walking the whole day, and you know you're I, you're in those shoes. Good on. I you. have a solution. Not that I want to give a sponsor plug, but this year I actually I, absolutely massive problem. And one of our our partners this year um, was Sorel, who amazing Canadian brand. And I actually decided to order some boots, high heels. Right? Yeah, 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 but yeah. they make they make high heels. Wow. My friend, and so they had the most fabulous high heels, and I actually ended up wearing a pair of high heels that arrived. The day of the opening night of the festival, mm. I put them on the next day. I wore them for 20 hours straight. First time any woman listening will be hearing me on mm-hmm. this. I did not get a single blister in wow. 20 hours. First time wear of high heels. So yeah. you also can find a good quality shoe. <laughs> I, get, I always get a kick out of uh, brides who, when they lift up the dress, yeah. are wearing like uh, Vans or like sneakers or yeah. Converse. I wore flip flops at my wedding. Ah, yeah, accurate. It. Were you on a beach? No, okay. I was in the middle of Toronto. <laughs> okay, all right, good, good. 
Um, so on the topic of partnership uh, programs and, and partners and properties, uh, what, are you, what are you seeing out there? I mean, you're, you've got partners you interact with all the time. Um, you've done it now for a number of years. Are you seeing some, some changing dynamics in terms of what they look for, what they're demanding of the property? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I will go back to this need to prove ROI. And I know this is in every single bit of research. It's always in all of the landscape studies. Yeah. It, it keeps on coming up and no one has really shocking figured it out entirely when it comes to sponsorship. And I think for me, it's less so about, you know, what are the metrics broadly for the industry? Uh, it's more so that we need to define those client specific objectives. Yes. That's absolutely critical um, in advance of building a partnership package for them um, because really the proof of ROI is then customized to the client. And that's really, really important. So we keep having that come back. We have people asking for research all the time. And yes, absolutely, we can give you research. We can give you audience survey results. But what's really going to matter is, did your brand deliver what you wanted it to deliver with our property? And so the key there, and that's like the underlying point there, is we need to know then what you want it to deliver. Yeah. We need that kind of information. Um, when the client is unsure of those specific or measurable objectives, proving ROI is almost impossible. I don't care how much research you have. Yeah. yeah. Um, so to be an effective partner, I need that detail. My, my team needs that detail. And that's what we've noticed. The ones that do the best, the partners that do the best, they are a little bit more specific up front with us. And then we can really measure, okay, you wanted to increase your social media uptake by 250%. Here's how we're going to do that. And then afterwards we can actually measure, did it do that? Uh But it needs to be measurable. And then the last thing I would say is another thing that came up, I know in the landscape study that I really have noticed is that everyone has been on and on and on about digital. Digital Uh is so important. Custom content is so important. It is important, but ironically, we get asked more about live engagement than anything else. So live engagement is still king for us. I think a lot of that is because what TIFF offers is a very special communal experience, Mm -hmm. going to a theater, being in a cinema, a festival village. It's a communal experience, so live engagement obviously makes sense. Uh, That being said, we're also a content organization, right? Yeah, you have both ends of it. We have yeah. both ends, and yet I will say live engagement is still king. Yeah. And that yeah. surprises me. Yeah. No, I, I love uh, I love that because you're right. Everybody, it's easy to get caught up in the, the, the devices and the content mm-hmm. flowing, but that human a- interaction, that human element piece of it and, and capturing data one-to-one, right? So you guys are in a unique position, as you say, to, to do them both. What, what resonates with what you said um, and what makes me think, uh, what, it, what it made me think of is, is um, brave conversations have to happen up front, right? There's a lot of expectation management that I think is uh, avoided because mm-hmm. it could involve a, a difficult conversation. That, and so as a property uh, good on you for tackling those up front because everybody will be better for it at the end, right? And and I think it is often missed. It's uh, you just see it, it. It it's it's a challenging dynamic to get that information. Maybe it's going to be you're going to hear some objectives that you're not comfortable meeting. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? If you're not comfortable meeting them, come renewal time, that's going to be an issue, right? So you might as well 
dive in and, and be brave and, and understand it. And as you say, put a plan in place or be honest and say, I don't think we're going to be able to hit on this objective, but, but these other three, I think we'll do a great job, right? So well said. Um, all right. So let's, uh, that's great stuff. Let's, let's wrap with a couple of things. One is, um, I just like to probe on people who have achieved success and what are some of their unique personal habits that, that, uh, they, they lean on or draw from. I would say probably for me, my number one thing is I always focus on what we can do. There's a lot of, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Oh, we can't do this. It's so frustrating. And you get really bogged down. And especially in the world of sponsorship, I would say, and in where you've got properties and and, uh, assets. And there's a lot of, here are the the goalposts and the reasons why not. Okay. What are the reasons what why, why you know what can we do and that's what I always focus on and that's what the team really focuses on and I think that's why we sometimes can appear to move mountains mm-hmm. we aren't really moving mountains we're avoiding mountains we're actually going and finding what we can do. We're finding those great streams, right? I don't know where that analogy well went. Yeah. yeah, boy, that was um, very nature-driven. Yes. I don't know. It, it went totally off the, yeah. the film topic. I'm sorry. I should have no, found no, a film no. one. <laughs> the, the Mountain Between Us was a recent movie. Perfect. It's there you go. I, I was going to say that. there are no avalanches or anything yeah. crazy. All right. Um, I'm sure I can work in an avalanche to that conversation, too. <laughs> Um, you know, I think for us also, we do, we're willing to have those conversations. We work really diligently to understand our, understand our clients inside and out. And that is really, really important. And I, I don't think you can be in this industry if you have a fear of talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just, yeah. it's just happening. Really? really? I'm, I'm stopping to make a note. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta love. Right. You gotta love talking to people. You gotta love asking questions, probing. Yeah. probing. And I would say the number one thing, honestly, is is listening. You mm-hmm. have to stop and be willing to listen, yeah. and and believe the person on the other side of the table and understand mm-hmm. where they're coming from. That's a, a really, really, really big part of this industry. Well, um, I, and I might challenge you on the part about believing the other person <laughs> all the time, but that's fine. That's fine. Sorry. Just yeah. to be clear, it is not customer is always right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but it's it's believing their perspective because yeah. there's all appreciating yeah. their perspective, yeah. right? It's I'm understanding where they're coming from, right? Um, I also have a sort of unending enthusiasm for our professional skills development <laughs> and certainly also for, not only just for myself but for my team because That's I really do much. believe that my the success of my team absolutely leads to the success of myself and yeah, so I sure. I'm so dedicated to that with my team we actually do something every year that you'll appreciate as a, a sports guy also mm-hmm. um, we call our our downtime which of course is only a normal 45 hour week um, <laughs> over the winter months we call it training season yeah. And so we actually, I reach out to the team in October and I ask them, what matters to you? What skills do you think would um, really serve you in your role next year? What would make 2019 better than 2018 if you had a little bit of PD? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we actually build training season together. And That's then awesome. for three or four months, we do special training specifically dedicated to what they're asking for. Um, and then just the last point that I would say that you need to have in this industry, especially is a sense of humor. <laughs> you really need a sense of humor because you're dealing with a lot of different personalities. Yeah. Um, you're, you have to be so adaptable. That and word is big for it, me. Adaptability. Massive, massive. And sometimes you're going to be in situations where you feel like you're stuck 
between a rock and a hard place. Is there, a, is there an yeah, avalanche thing there me, somewhere? I know. He's like, give me a minute. The rock. The rock, the movie. Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah. really, you're in those moments and you have to be able to stop and laugh. And especially in live events, it's exhausting. Yeah. You're exhausted a lot of the time. Yeah. So find the humor and your whole life is just going to feel a lot better. It, uh, that's awesome stuff. And it uh, makes me think of, um, of uh, kind of an axiom that I've... I heard early in my career, I've adapted and kind of made it my own, but it's it was this idea that um, have fun with your job, yeah. and take your work very seriously, and it's this whole idea that your job is is something different from your work. Mm-hmm. Your job is coming to you know the environment you're in, your colleagues, the 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 in your case, you've got the the entertainment world around you. Take it in, enjoy it, laugh, have fun. But when you sit down to do some work, to to write a note, to write an email, to put a presentation together, to run a meeting, to meet with a client, yes, certainly have have fun with with that meeting. But but achieve what you meant to achieve, right? And be serious about what you're trying to get out of it because that's your reputation, right? And you guys are in a unique environment to live that that saying of having fun with your job but you know take your work seriously right fun and professional do not need to be mutually exclusive yeah better said yeah let's just say what i try to say (laughs) way way fewer words uh (laughs) so thank you thank you for uh taking over here and uh (laughs) yeah um so let's wrap with there's people who will listen to this that want to break into the field um, it's as we said. It's it's a it's a desirable field. It's a sexy field. It is hard work, folks, as we've said. But yes, it is. Uh, it beats um, you know um, shipping and receiving or whatever, right? Hey, that's, um, there's, that's now I'm gonna have the shipping do. and receiving community. All well, yeah, we have an amazing shipping and receiving guy here at Tifo. I will say honestly, he's made a career out of it. He's it's the right personality fit. And there you go. That's well where we're gonna go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so uh, what what's your what's your advice? for people who want to get in or maybe just um, are in but want to elevate and become the next uh, Jennifer Freeze. <laughs> get ready to be exhausted. No, just yeah. kidding. Um, listen, I I really think that the number one thing is, and I think a lot of people, they see sponsorship just purely as an arm of marketing and they think, you know, I want to be a marketer. Maybe I'll do a sponsorship specifically or have it all wrapped into one. For me, sponsorship, and again, I use the word partnerships because we approach it in in a a partnership model, Um, it's a relationship game. You have to love relationships of all different shapes and sizes. You have to love building relationships. You have to love having conversations. Um, You have to uh, have a little bit of a thick skin because as we all know, relationships can be tricky. Um, and it's funny because sometimes, you know, people say to me, Oh, and you're, especially with Tiff, because we have, we do have so many partners of, again, all different shapes and sizes, um, from all different types of industries. So we're dealing with so many different personalities, personality types. And people often say, Oh, you know, certain industries have difficult personalities. And I actually don't believe that. And I think that's something that's important when you're going into this industry, you have to be okay with is that there is no such thing as a difficult personality. There's just different personalities. Um, and it's learning, as you say, to be adaptable, to listen, to, like I say, believe what someone says is really, it's what they believe. Mm -hmm. So you need to believe in them Mm -hmm. and believe in their perspective Mm -hmm. and understand their perspective. Um, it's, it's all about that adaptability to be able to have those relationships and not look at them as difficult all the time. Look at them as 
just different and an opportunity yeah, and great. a great place to learn. And, and I think for me, diversify yourself a little bit and yeah. diversify your perspectives. Yeah. Well said. Well said. You know, that's, that's actually a great message, uh, given the whole political landscape we live in now. <laughs> I think that that just ex- resonates uh, a few, few extra, uh, levels, uh, for me hearing that. So listen, uh, Jen, awesome stuff. Uh, thank you. You, you did do some great prep and uh, gave <laughs> us some great insights. So I can't thank you enough for doing this. Thank you so much. I'm so excited that you're doing this podcast and, uh, uh, everyone, everyone should listen to it. I think it's a huge opportunity for the industry. Terrific. Thank you.